Well, I was baptized as a kid in a Catholic church and raised in a church, and I really appreciate my parents doing that. But I felt that it was time for me to make that decision myself. In this marriage season, I think it was important for me to be baptized like my wife was and be united in that front. So when the future comes with our kids, and we both can tell our kids why we were baptized in our faith, I needed to learn, going to this new walk and learning about God and Jesus in a different light. And it was time for me to really express that Jesus is Lord. I accept Jesus as my life, and I'm going to be stepping forward with that in my heart. It, it's one of the most exciting things that we get to do, our beach baptisms, and 52 people were obedient, and that's really what Christian baptism is. In between services, a lady caught me, and she said, I feel guilty. God told me to do this last week, and I didn't do it. And I said, well, it's not too late. Is there a swimming pool? Do you want us to go to honeymoon? See, the whole point about baptism is Jesus was obedient. And in Christian baptism, you're being obedient to the greatest event in all of history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So pretty cool, 52 people. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like if I was an OBGYN delivering babies, I, I would think every baby would be so cool. It just, it, it would never get old. That's how we feel about baptism. 
and to be able to watch that. It was just such, such an exciting event. So, again, we want to let you know we do this three times a year, but we do it at pools. We meet people out there. We do it here in our own baptistry. That's a very cool act of obedience. And if you were baptized last Sunday, would you stand? We'd love to pray over you. Let's see a couple over here. Yes. Got two back here. Three. That's awesome. And just remain standing. And if you would, just extend your hand to one of these, many of these. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the lives that were obedient to you last Sunday. And now we bring them before your throne and we ask that your promises, which we know are true, will be poured out on them. Thank you for your promise that you have sealed them with your Holy Spirit and that your Spirit will guide them into all truth. You promise through your Spirit to teach them and to remind them of what you've taught them. Father, their future is so exciting. So we ask that you remind them to continue to seek first you and your kingdom, and you'll add everything else to them. Lord, I thank you for their lives, and may they feel your grace being poured out on them today, even as they hear your word spoken. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, now you're in for a real treat here with Amos and Crystal. Give it up for Amos and Crystal. Well, hello, Harborside. Are you well today? Awesome. So glad to see you all in the building. Even those of you who are watching online, welcome. Welcome to Harborside Christian Church. We are continuing our crossover series. We have been in the book of Hebrews. We've been going chapter by chapter. And today we are on chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. And the reason why we've called this whole sermon series crossover and, um, is because the word Hebrews actually means to cross over. That's why we've called this series Crossing Over. And every chapter, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us something to cross over from, meaning we were in this position and in this place and this thinking, and there's a greater, better way of thinking and doing things. So I just have a couple of questions. Um, how many of you here, every single morning you have your alarm set and it goes off at the exact same time and you wake up at the exact same time every single morning, show of hands, how many of you here do that? Amazing, look at all the type A personalities in the room, that's awesome. Um, maybe you're here and it's not necessarily the one set time, but there's like a range you know, so maybe you'll have like the first alarm that's like, hey, stop dreaming. And then the next one that's like, oh, you're still dreaming. You know, so how many of you are kind of like that? You've got like eight alarms, let's say, and you wake up with them. my people. Look at all of you in the room. I love it. Two hands. I love it. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, how many of you here, you can say whether it's an alarm or just what you do, you have a morning routine. You do the morning routine every single morning, or you at least try to, to set you up for the day. How many people you have a morning routine? Awesome. Now, if we kept going, I know some of you have even developed an evening routine, things that you do at the end of the day to help you wind down. You see, the things that we do, we do it because it sets us up for something greater. We, we, we do these things because it provides a great benefit to us. 
So waking up and having a morning routine helps us get started for the day. And we try to do that and refine that routine. And then once we find what works for us, we continue to do it over and over and over again because of the benefits it brings. But if we're honest, that cycle of a morning routine is just the beginning of cycles. You see, there are some cycles in our lives that maybe they're the things that we don't want to repeat. Now, some of these things could be examples of abuse, examples of addiction. And these are some of the negative cycles that we continue to go back to that we really don't want to continue. But for some reason, we kind of get stuck in those cycles, and it actually takes us further and further away from who we really want to be. And the powerful thing about cycles is that it's not just about us and in our lives only, but you could actually see even generationally how certain things are repeated. Things that a great-grandfather may deal with, a grandfather may deal with, a father may deal with, and a son may deal with. And that could be positive or negative. We want those to be as positive as possible. Maybe it's the cycle of reading your word, being an upstanding member of your community, being a person after God's own heart. You want to glean from generations before and continue those cycles. But if there are the cycles of abuse, cycles of addiction, of greed, of pride, those are the cycles that keep us further and further away from who we're supposed to be. And so what we can see very plainly and very clearly is that the problem is not the cycles. Cycles are not bad. Bad cycles are bad. And what we want to do is we want to cross over from bad cycles to great cycles, from old way of thinking to new way of thinking, from the things that we want to break to the things that we want to repeat. Cycles are not bad. Bad cycles are bad. And that's what makes the book of Hebrews so relevant to us today. The author is actually writing this to a group of believers. And these believers, although well-intended, are stuck in the same bad cycles. Cycles of deceit, cycles of sin, bad cycles of rest, bad religious cycles. And the author, chapter by chapter, is trying to get these believers to cross over from the old way of doing things to a newer, better set of cycles in Christ. Now, in their defense, just like the rest of us, we come into our relationship with Christ with these old cycles, generational cycles, religious cycles, habits that we have. And so for them, all they knew and all they could reference or was available to them and to their sins was the cycle of condemnation. Hmm. And we read about this cycle of condemnation. The author of Hebrews starts out first two verses in chapter 10 this way. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared." So there was this old cycle that was just a preview, a dim one at that, of something great to come. 
And I love how the last verse, right at the last, the last few words says, it says, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. If it was good enough, then guilt would have disappeared. And so we see in this old cycle of condemnation, we can find that there is guilt. In the cycle of condemnation, there is guilt. And in the cycle of condemnation, there's also shame. Verses three and four, but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So imagine in this cycle of condemnation, not only do you constantly deal with the guilt of your sin, but you are constantly reminded that no matter what you do, no matter what sacrifices that you make to atone for those sins, that you're never fully purified, that you will have to revisit those mistakes over and over and over and over again, and you'll never be able to remove yourself from the cycle of guilt and shame. Now, if I'm honest, I've used those words guilt and shame interchangeably. I've kind of treated them as synonyms, but really they're distant cousins. They're somewhat related, but they are two completely different things. Um, Now, what I'm learning from reading the scriptures is that guilt says that I made a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. It's the repetition, the reminder of your guilt. If you don't continue to deal with that, then the things that you're reminded about, about the mistakes that you've made, essentially become who you are. They invade your thoughts. And now you can't separate your actions from your identity. You see, what can happen is all of us will make mistakes in life. All of us will. And so to feel guilty about something wrong that you did is not wrong. You should feel wrong when you make a mistake. But what happens if you never, ever deal with that sin, that guilt, then it becomes a part of who you are. Then you start feeling like, I am the mistake. And maybe you're in the room here and you're struggling with that first part. The biggest weight on your mind right now is the guilt from the mistakes that you've made. The guilt from the mistakes that you've made years ago or the guilt from the mistakes that you made even last night. And maybe you're here and what you're struggling with is the shame. Maybe you're here and you just believe that your whole life is a mistake because you are the problem. And I want to tell you that there's hope for you today. Um, now, I, I, there's not a lot of titles that I really care about or anything like that. Titles don't really mean too much to me per se. However, there are a few titles that I relish. I absolutely love One is husband. Um, The other one is best friend. That was an alley-oop. Great job. Um, And and I really love the title of uncle. I love being an uncle and spoiling my nieces and nephews rotten. It's another way to get at my sisters, and I absolutely love it. Oh, man, I love it. (laughs) So I, I love being super uncle, and I try to spoil my nieces and nephews. And when the oldest of the two of the bunch were 15, or they're now 15 and 13, so I'm not really cool uncle anymore. I'm just kind of like uncle. 
which is a hard thing to deal with, but we, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> all the counselors in the room zeroed in on me. <laughs> uh, they're 15 and 13 now, and they're going through the teenage, preteen kind of deals. But I remember when they were like five and three, and they were absolutely adorable. And I remember one instance, we were all at my mom's house, mom, dad, my sisters, brothers-in-law, and the kids were playing in the next room. Now, what I've learned is if it's noisy when kids are playing, that's actually a good sign. Um, If it's noisy and the toys are going off and a couple of screams here and there, that's great. Everything's going wonderful. Um, When it gets really nerve-wracking is when it's perfectly still and quiet. So we were in this situation where there was a little bit of noise going on, some, some toys and all that. We're like, all right, everything's going great. And then it got really, really quiet. So one of the adults in the room, it was one of my sisters, jumps up. She's like, I'm going to go check in on the kids. So she comes around the corner, and all we hear is, oh, my goodness. So then we all get up. We're like, what is this? So we all come rushing around the corner. And right there in big letters, someone had written all over our brand-new, freshly painted wall. Um, Oh, yeah. So there's only a five- and a three-year-old there. So we start with the five-year-old. And we say, and the five-year-old's name, her name is Sophia. So we say, now, Sophia, who wrote on this wall? And Sophia goes, it was Scarlett. Now, we might have believed Sophia. We might have believed that, that Scarlett was the one who wrote on the walls. But there was one big problem. Um, the problem was, in big letters on this wall, was the name Sophia. <laughs> So he said, Sophia, (laughs) so you're telling me Scarlett, who does not know how to write yet, learned how to write and wrote your name? (laughs) And so she's kind of got that blank face that you've all probably seen before. um, And immediately she takes off running and tries to hide, right? (laughs) So we, we come around her and we say, hey, you can be honest with us. You know, you, you know every, we, that was a moment. That was a moment that we took. But you know what's so interesting about their story and seeing them do that as a child is it, this is the same cycle that has been repeated from the beginning of time. If we had the time, we'd go back to the book of Genesis and we'd look at the fall of man with Adam and Eve. And after they had done the wrong thing, they had committed a sin, after they had eaten for the forbidden fruit, God came looking for them and said, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? And the Bible says that they were hiding because they were ashamed. And so it's so interesting that our reflex, even as a child, is the same thing that Adam and Eve did, is that immediately once we've done something wrong, we start to internalize it as shame. And what we want to do is run away. But Jesus didn't just come to bear our guilt. Jesus came to also bear our shame. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. Jesus didn't just come as a payment for your sins. There is more. He also came to reestablish who you are. You are not your mistakes. You are who he says you are. Amen. Jesus came to cancel this old cycle of condemnation, church. The author in the book of Hebrews reminds us that this cycle of condemnation has been put to death and that we no longer have to repeat it. Starting with verse 12, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. 
Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That, that verse 14 is, let's look at that one more time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, if you're like me in the room, this is one of those verses in the Bible that kind of is a little bit of a struggle because the thought process could be, well, if I'm perfect, does it that mean that I'm holy? How am I made perfect, but also being made holy? And if I'm holy, doesn't that mean that I'm automatically perfect? And so I've, I've wrestled with that a little bit. And I love how the Bible sometimes uses examples that we can understand to explain things that sometimes are a little bit more difficult to understand. So my wife and I, we are able to do some weddings together where I'll be the officiating minister. She will be the, um, the wedding coordinator. And I, I love doing weddings. You know, they're, they're some of my favorite things that we get to do here. And I say the same thing at every single one of the wedding ceremonies. I say, you know, in this moment, you are joining your life and your love to one another. And God is looking down on you no longer as two individuals, but as one. Now, when God sees you, he sees you together as one. Now, if you've been married for any length of time, a little bit longer than 2.5 seconds, then you know that in the moment when you say, I do, and you get married, yes, you are one. But then there is also this process of becoming one. Yes, we said, I do, but you didn't tell me you like to get the toothpaste out from the middle and not from the bottom. (laughs) Because that's terribly inefficient. Uh, I mean, you didn't tell me that you like to do the toilet paper roll under instead of over, because that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, we said we were going to rest and relax this weekend. I didn't know you were going to take up the whole couch and have Doritos the whole time. There's a process of becoming one. So you are one. God sees you as one. But then there's this process of learning exactly what that means. So in a sense, you could look at the Harborside Chapel as, yes, you are one. And then you come in here to like a marriage Monday. And the whole goal is to teach you the process of how to continue to become one. So you are, but you are becoming. You are perfect and you are becoming holy. So with this in mind, that we are perfected and we are becoming holy, we realize that we were not created to live in the cycle of condemnation. Why? Because there is no hope in that cycle. We just continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again until eventually we begin to believe that we are the mistake. And the cycle continues to move us further and further and further away from who we are and who we are becoming. But God's love is so extravagant that he doesn't just send Jesus to eliminate a bad cycle. He sends Jesus to present a new cycle, a cycle of communion that moves us closer and closer and closer and closer to who we are and who we are becoming. In this new cycle, we learn to stop focusing, giving our attention to our guilt and our shame, now we get to learn how to focus on God's solution for our sin. And that solution is the 
finished work of Jesus Christ. So in the cycle of condemnation, there is guilt. But in the cycle of communion, there is forgiveness. Verses 15 and 17. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Mm. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. So I don't have to be a genius to know that there may be some of us dealing with the same cycles over and over again. And the good news about Jesus is the finished work doesn't just stop at our guilt. We are able to take that guilt, bring it to the Lord and receive forgiveness. And that forgiveness, my friends, unlocks the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who now lives on the inside of us. And as the Bible says, begins to work in us to do and to will what pleases God. So then it's not all on you to continue to sacrifice, to continue to repeat the same cycle of guilt and shame. Now you have an advocate. Now you have a comforter who works in you to remove the desire for the things that no longer serve you in Christ Mm -hmm. and to begin to work in your mind and work in your heart and bring scripture to remembrance when you're struggling to not step into certain environments, when you're struggling to sever certain relationships from your past, when you're struggling to begin to speak God's word over yourself as opposed to what you've heard all of your life or what you've grown to believe over the years. And in those moments, the word of God rises to the surface by way of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds you to go to the presence of God. The Holy Spirit literally ushers us from the old cycle into the new cycle of communion. Amen. And in the cycle of condemnation, there was shame. I am the mistake. But in the cycle of communion, there is freedom from that shame. We read about it in verses 19 through 23. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now I I wanna read that passage one more time. But this time I want to read it um, by first giving you some context to what the author is saying here. You see, in this old cycle, in the old covenant, what would have to happen is once a year, all of us would have to go and present a sacrifice. This is somewhat of what Joy was sharing before. We would have to present an animal to be sacrificed. And that animal would be sacrificed and the blood would shed and there would be an altar and that sacrifice would happen. And then the high priest once a year would go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, which was this tent 
that housed the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence. So once a year, a high priest, after everybody had given up their sacrifices, once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place and sprinkle some blood on the mercy seat. And what that would symbolize is, hey, forgive us for our sins over this last year. So, every, so, so 364 days and you've got all this sin, you bring your animal, you sacrifice it, and the, whole, the high priest goes and he goes into the most holy place. Now, here's the thing about that most holy place is if the high priest hadn't done all the things that he was supposed to do, he would actually go past that curtain and fall over and die. If he hadn't done every single thing that he was supposed to do, as soon as he crossed that curtain, he would fall over and die. People would have to actually strap a rope around him just in case he fell over so they could just yank him out. So if we were still in that old cycle, that would be a lot of pressure on Kurt to... (laughs) I mean, I'll take the rope, you know what I mean? (laughs) I got your back, bro. I'm not leaving you in there, man. So that's what the old cycle and the old covenant was. So with that understanding, let's read verse 19 one more time. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. That is a big statement because you wouldn't go through the curtain boldly. You would go with fear and trembling, hoping that you had done everything right. And why can you now go boldly? Because of the blood of Jesus, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God could have simply come and sent Jesus to give us a get out of jail free card. And that would have been enough just to get us to heaven at the end of our lives on the earth. But the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus is more than that. It's more than just a pass into heaven. Not only is there forgiveness from sin, there's now freedom from sin. This means that we don't just leave the bad cycle behind. In the cycle of communion, we completely break old and bad cycles of brokenness, cycles of addiction, cycles of anger, cycles of divorce, you name it. Everyone in this room has a cycle that they're stuck in and they are trying to get out of. And the promise of Christ is that not only did he come to eliminate that, but he came to work in us continually, building a new cycle in us to eventually we look back and that is no longer who we are. And we no longer have to deal with the shame of that because we are further and further and more and more becoming more like Christ. As he intended in the beginning, we are being made into his image and likeness. Christ does not just come to make us free. Christ comes to make us free indeed. Uh So how do you know which cycle you're repeating? Well, 
something that helps us is condemnation makes you run from God. Communion makes you run to God. You're in the cycle of condemnation. You may be running to your pride. You may be running to your personal favorite form of self-sacrificing to atone for your sin and your own strength. Or you may just be running from church, running from community, running from the presence of God because you're afraid of what he'll say when you get there. And you've, you've grown to believe that your sin is who you are. You're struggling with that today then you're probably stuck in the cycle of condemnation. But if you're in the cycle of communion, you've made a decision that you're going to continue to go boldly into the presence of God and go, God, I know what I've accomplished. I know how intelligent I am, how resourceful I am, how many people count on me. But even still, I do not have the capacity within myself to break a cycle that no longer benefits me. So I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to embrace forgiveness and I'm going to stand on the promise and believe that you want me to be free and free indeed. If you're running to God and you're receiving the forgiveness and the freedom every day, then you're in the cycle of communion. And so too, as, as we close today, Take out your communion elements, and I'm actually going to ask that you just hold on to it for a second and not take it yet. Um, I'd like for us to all take our time through communion today. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us that in the Last Supper that Jesus was there with his disciples and they were reclining at the table. And he was like, this is my body and this is my blood. And this is my body that is broken, and this is my blood that is poured out. It's a huge statement. With now the understanding of what the old cycle was, for Jesus to have said that in the moment was an eye-opening moment for the disciples, that here is a brand new covenant. Here is a new cycle. And what he said was, do this in remembrance of me, meaning, when you do this, this is what I want you to remember. You see, we read in, in earlier in chapter 10 that every time that they would bring the sacrifices, every time they would bring a lamb to sacrifice, that it was only a dim preview because they were constantly reminded that they were not fully free. So every time they brought a sacrifice, it was a reminder that it still wasn't enough. And Jesus is saying, this is now my body and now my blood I am the Lamb of God, and when you do this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that I am laying my life down for your sins, but I am also laying my life down for your freedom. This isn't just a payment for what you've done. This is the pavement for where you're going. This is not, hey, this is a payment for your sins, and now I'm just forgiving your sins. I think we haven't made that distinction clear. Jesus didn't just die to forgive your sins. He came to give you freedom from your sins. You do not have to keep going back, and you do not have to continue the cycles that have been repeating in your life. You do not even have to get your life together in order to come to Jesus. 
He says, come now, come exactly how you are. And so what I want us to do in this moment is something that the Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us. It's just a couple of words in there, and it won't be on the screens, but I invite you to go back and read it in the book of Matthew and Mark um, in the 20-something chapters uh, when you get home. But it said that as they were taking communion, they reclined and they, they sang. And it's Jesus singing with his disciples. And I think that's so powerful. And so the worship team, uh, we've got somebody who's going to lead us in a song. And it's the song, Worthy is the Lamb, that we sang earlier. And what I want us to do is we're going to just sing the verse and the chorus of that song. And then we're going to come back and we're going to take the bread. And then we're going to sing the chorus of the song. And then we're going to come back and take the juice. And then finally, we're going to sing the chorus one more time. And then we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. And the reason why is because this is what communion represents, this boldly entering into the promise of God. And this specific song about worthy is the lamb, it starts off, thank you for what you've done for me, Jesus. So as you're here, take this moment as we're singing together to identify which cycle have you allowed yourself to continue to be in. Are you in the cycle of condemnation? Are you in the cycle of constantly punishing yourself? If you're there, I just want you to sing the song. Just sing the words that are on the screen. It says, thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Because that's how we cross over into this new cycle of communion. Thanking Jesus and accepting what he's done. And there's something about telling him who he is that unlocks who we are. So I invite all of us, church, to sing this because for the people who can't sing it in the room or for the people who need a moment, we want these words to be as loud as possible because whether you're singing it or whether you're hearing it, telling him who he is really puts into focus who he's called you to be. So let's stand and I invite you to hold your communion elements. We're just gonna start first and worship. So in this moment, Let's sing together as we worship. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
body. Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. He was beaten. His body was bruised for you so that you wouldn't have to beat yourself up. He did it for you so you wouldn't do it to yourself. So as we take the body, let's remember all that God did for us by sending his son, that he took the beatings so that we wouldn't have to. And then let's sing. God looks down on you, he sees you covered in the blood of Jesus. You are not what you've done. You are now who he says you are. And he says you are perfect and you are being made holy. So let's take the juice and then let's sing. God, that even now as we sing, we are breaking cycles in our minds, breaking cycles in our hearts, cycles in our families, cycles in our past, cycles in our future. So we bless our church family this morning, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in us to step away from the cycles that no longer serve us and for working in us to do and to will what pleases God. Thank you for perfecting us and continuing to make us holy. We believe it and we stand on your promise this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, church.